0: We're so excited for you to dive into this episode of Wellness Rebranded, where we host our very first guest on the show. The information we discuss related to disordered eating is an example of the work we still have to do in our society of educating and creating awareness about the negative consequences of weight stigma and conflating weight and health, as well as disordered eating and eating disorders themselves. If you find yourself in a similar situation, please know there is help and professionals out there who follow a weight-neutral approach to health and can help you heal from disordered eating and eating disorders.
1: Welcome to Wellness Rebranded. We know there is so much conflicting health and fitness advice out there.
0: And you're tired of the wellness fads, endless diets, and impossible standards that make you feel like nothing you do is ever enough.
2: You're ready to tune into your mind and body and feel empowered around health. This is the Wellness Rebranded podcast. We're
1: the healing trio here to help you redesign your relationships with food, fitness, and yourself.
0: I'm Elizabeth, registered dietitian and certified intuitive eating counselor. I'm Maria,
2: licensed mental health therapist.
0: And I'm Tara, personal trainer. Together, we're changing the narrative on health away from diet culture, hustle culture, and toxic positivity and towards healthful self-care. So grab your water bottle and get ready to laugh, learn, and grow. And let's start rebranding your wellness journey. Welcome back to another episode of Wellness Rebranded. We are super excited today to have a guest, Melissa Souravi of Strong Mom Run Club. Melissa has been through the intuitive eating journey uh, working with me directly, and we're just super excited to talk to her about all things kind of intuitive eating and running and wellness related. So, Melissa, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. I feel so privileged to be your first guest. You are our very first guest. And I should make a quick note. Tara is sick today, so you won't be hearing much from her, but Maria and I are here excited to jump in and talk. So yes. um, so Melissa, you went through the intuitive eating journey with me. I wanna say. Was it two years ago or three years ago? Two years ago. Two years, two years ago. Yep. So tell us a little bit about maybe how you got to the point of wanting to try intuitive eating.
1: So I feel like maybe most people have kind of tried out almost all of the other things before that, um, you know, with the variety of the, you know, diets and of diets. And I, I remember just thinking, what else can I do that, that's something different, you know, like clearly the dieting wasn't working. Um, and I was just tired of feeling so bad about myself is kind of where it was. And I remember on our first call, like just the discovery call that we had, I'm like, this like just sounds so much better than any other diet plan that I've ever even read about. Um, just thinking about how I could, view myself in a better perspective versus even the whole what I look like or what that number on the scale is so it was like as soon as I talked to you I I knew that this was the path that I wanted to go and I haven't looked back since then
0: yeah I love that I think that's so often people say to me in that first phone call like what you're describing sounds amazing and I want that freedom to kind of enjoy food and feel better about my body and not have to count and track and measure but Also, I have no idea how that could work and how I could get from like my current kind of diet state to that intuitive eating state that you're talking about. So I'm curious if you felt that way in the beginning.
1: Yeah, I I mean, the idea of like just paying attention to my body, I mean, has gone way more than just with eating. It is with, you know, how how do my emotions make me feel? How does my activity make me feel? Um, like I try to focus, uh, with running for myself and I try to imbue that on others, but we know it's a little hard for people to kind of hold back. Um, we can talk more about that later. Um, when you're talking about like a certain pace or whatever, it's kind of like always winning that number on the scale. There's people who always want that number for their pace. Um, but holding back in the sense that like, I don't always have to be trying to get a personal best, um, and having the ability to self regulate without the extreme ends and i feel like we talked when i was in the course with you the pendulum came up so many times mm-hmm. and you know my pendulum still swings as i think it you know it's always going to but it definitely has a um shorter trajectory these days than it did 2 years ago i mean i was definitely a you know heavy swinging pendulum back then of All in or not in at all and that just made it either miserable on one end or miserable on the other like Mm -hmm. on the restrictive end it was like miserable because I couldn't have these things I wanted but if I was on the I didn't care in then I just was felt guilty because I didn't care and I was you know eating or drinking whatever I wanted sort of feeling so I like my much smaller swinging pendulum these days
2: yeah I'm sorry, Elisa, that makes so much sense. You know, everything we do should be something that we feel that goes accordingly with our own changes and us tuning in with our body, right? Rather than setting up these expectations that not necessarily are changing with us or aligned with how we feel, which is so important on everything we do.
0: I love how you said that, you know, your pendulum still swings a little bit, because I think it brings up the point of intuitive eating isn't this static place, right? And everything, it's not sort of like you get there and it ends. It's it's balance. Uh, I always think of our friend, Julie Blanfin, who says balance is a verb. Mm-hmm. Intu- I, I feel like eating intuitively is is sort of the same idea, right? It's natural for there to be ebbs and flows just in the things happening in our life. And therefore, our uh, you know the way we respond to those things but also our bodies and the messages we get to everything fluctuates but it's finding that just peaceful place in the middle instead of those wild um extreme swings
1: and and i feel like i mean we've also my with my children and their reaction their behavior things that they do they're six and eight right now and my reactions i feel like aside from therapy that we go to with them um I've been able to help my reactions also to the things they do to be less extreme as well. Um, I think just that combination of just feeling like the extremes hurt, right? Like they're not, it's not pleasant being out there and whether it's extreme. And if I want to put it like a running analogy in it, sprinting's really hard, right? If you're giving it all, your all, that's really hard. And we don't do that very often in a, in a running plan. Um, and there's a reason for that because it's hard. And when you're hanging on that, you know, extreme ends of whatever it is, it, it's hard. So if you're having trouble, I think with your, you know, emotions with your children, in my particular case, right, kind of regulating, one, regulating my, my eating and not in a restrictive way, but just being in, attuned to it, made me less hangry less frequently. I mean, I still get hangry. Don't get me wrong. Cause life gets in the way, but now I can feel it. I know I'm getting hangry and I'll give my husband a warning. Like FYI, I'm hangry right now. So like, just give me a few minutes. Cause like, I can't, I can't do other things. You know, th- if, if they start doing something, you're going to have to take care of it. Cause I need to go eat something to, you know, stave off the hangriness where before it would just blow up because I was hangry. And then there was the, after the fact of, I'm sorry, I really was hungry and I, I just didn't, Eat and you know, I had to like apologize a lot more. And so it's just regulated. And I, I don't, that's not the right word. It's brought my life back to a nice gentle balance versus that extreme flow in more than just what I eat when I eat and how I feel about myself in those cases.
0: Yeah. And isn't that such a great metaphor for So often people tell me how intuitive eating turns into intuitive living, but when you're kind of like solid and true and grounded in yourself, in your own kind of messages that your body's sending you in your own emotions, in your own kind of values, you just approach everything differently from, from just such a more centered place instead of living to the, you know, the dieting rules or someone else's expectations or definitions Uh, of anything right you you just become so much more grounded, and it does impact every area of your life
1: I feel like one of the challenging things was seeing where those conversations came up the the diet culture conversations and kind of then having the 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 knowledge of like is this a group that I'm going to get on a soapbox with or or am I just going to sit back and kind of let them go because everyone has I've seen recently several things on social media that um their intuitive eating focus that are like, if you took out the, you know, complaining about what I look like and what I eat, what else would I talk to my friends about? Um, It was kind of like a satire sort of post I saw. And I'm like, well, thankfully, I don't have that with my group of friends specifically. But that is true. There are some when I'm in a larger group, I hear that a lot, like especially like pool season, I keep hearing people talking about, Oh, it's, you know, summer's coming. I'm like, it's just another season, you know, and I'm, I'm not stressed out about the fact that it's summer or not summer or whichever. Um, just because I've shifted my mindset around it versus needing to be a certain way to put on a swimming suit and go to the pool. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's such a, um, it's funny, you know, for the most part, the people that I spend kind of 80% of my time with know what I do, right? And so the diet culture conversations are kept really at a minimum, I would say. Um, But recently, I went into a social situation with about 10 or 12 other women who I was meeting for the first time. And they, many of them kind of all knew each other. And it was like, so um, surprising isn't the right word, but just, I guess, different for me to hear how many comments were made about people's bodies or their weight or their eating or their just these diet culture conversations. And it is so common for women to bond over bashing their bodies. And that is diet culture.
1: I often have that hard time of, obviously I don't want to be like, Oh no, you look great. Or, you know, cause that's still focusing on the look um, versus saying nothing. Cause I don't want to just say nothing because inside I want to be like, it doesn't have to be this way. Um, and it just depends on the group of people and how many, you know, what's, what else is going on, which, which path do I take today? Um, because it's hard. Some people aren't receptive to it. And I know in the beginning of my journey uh, with intuitive eating, trying to share that with some of the people closest to me. They just didn't get it. Um, And so there was, I just had to stop kind of sharing with them in that moment. Uh, In this few months where I was figuring out myself um, and be like, I just need you to not talk about weight right now. Like, that's just something I need you to not talk about with me. Yours, mine, anyone's. So I just
2: had to remove that and then things were fine. We have a long way to go, huh? In that area such a long way to go so much self-worth we put on the way we look and pro- probably repeating patterns that we've heard from you know growing up or other people and it's just a way to keep the conversation not in a useful way for anyone really because I don't think anybody's out there having a great happy life talking about weight it brings stress and anxiety and and judgment and yeah And
1: you mentioned like, well, what I think of as that generational, you know, Mm -hmm. learning that we have and trying to break that here, which was actually one of my driving forces, um, that I have a daughter. And when I started, she was six. Mm -hmm. And I mean, she said to me not too long ago, um, I know why I wasn't good at the backstroke last year. She was good. The first year she did swim team. She's like, it's because I weigh too much Mm -hmm. and I, Oh, I lost it not meanly, but I was like, You do not say that. That is not the case. Unlike the difference is, you grew a lot and you weren't swimming, and so your body wasn't used to moving. That and she got really tall, and like you got taller, so you are a different shape of a person, and your body wasn't used to moving yourself through the water. You didn't have the practice to move yourself through the water as fast. It's like no, 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 we can't be thinking this at eight years old. And she didn't say it in a way that made it seem like she said it very matter of factly and she didn't seem sad and didn't seem distraught. But I mean, I got my tonsils out when I was 10 and I remember losing 10 pounds and being super excited. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's my first memory, but that makes me think I definitely had those thoughts before then to be happy about the fact that like, I remember someone telling me their mom's tonsils grew back and like, oh, maybe mine will grow back so I can lose 10 pounds again. Like those were thoughts I had as a youth. Mm-hmm. Um, And I'm like, no, you can't think that way. Obviously, I don't want her to think that way. I can't stop how she thinks. Uh, But just trying to provide other, you know, physiological reasons why that might have been, not because of any specific number.
2: You know, I've caught myself more than once making comments about my weight in front of my kids. And I'm sure they're listening, you know, and the message is there that we're not doing it directly, but it's like, you make a comment and they're listening and they're, oh, so we come in on our way. Like that's something important about, right? So I've learned to catch myself on time not to do that and on my own work about my own self-image, right? Mm. Yeah. And on the flip side, uh, a
1: few months ago, my Graham, who's 83, um, she's had some health challenges and so she's she's losing weight. Um, like she is actually losing weight in the number because she ends up in the ER every couple of months for something. Um, so she knows she's losing weight and she actually said to me, I was wearing something. I don't know what I was wearing. She's like, well, if I just keep losing weight like this, maybe I can wear that someday. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, but she, she's also about five inches shorter than she used to be. Like, she's like losing, I think, I think like bone density, muscle oh. mass. And like her, you know, she, she's always had a stomach. I, I get mine from her, not in a bad way, but that's where it comes from genetically. I'm like, Oh, I see it. But like, that's still there, but she's so excited because the number on the scale is going down. And I look at that as like, I don't want to even care what a scale says when I'm 83. Like Sure.
0: And also, I mean, it sounds like there's probably medical reason why the numbers going down and like it just shows how I think at both ends of the spectrum, young children and then, you know, elderly adults, how ingrained diet culture is and that idea that smaller equals better. And this is something that needs to take up a significant portion of my brain space. But aren't you so grateful? Well, first of all, I think it's awesome that you were able to kind of shift that conversation for your daughter in her mind to like, no, there's lots of reasons. And like, A, you're supposed to be growing when you're eight years old. Mm -hmm. right? And also there's lots and lots of reasons that have nothing to do with weight, but aren't you grateful that you actually have the language to have that conversation and feel confident in, in how you can approach it? Cause it comes up, I think for anyone who spends time with children.
1: Absolutely. I mean, just feeling like you said, that confidence to be able to say, no, like we can look at all these other reasons why you weren't as fast, but you know, there's, there's not, weight is not the, a, the one reason, right? You're Longer you're bigger. You didn't do anything because one of the things we've worked on with them is practice, mm-hmm. um and with intuitive eating, it takes practice, right? And that's you know why the pendulum still moves because it does take practice.
2: Yeah. You no, know, it takes unlearning of a lot of stuff too that we bring been bringing for a while. For me, it was a lot of unlearning, still unlearning, and learning new things. So it's a beautiful process to go, even when you have kids, because then they can learn through that process as you go. Well, even in happy
1: environments, we went to dinner a couple weeks ago and I left a little bit on my plate because I was going to have dessert. And I was like, well, you know, and I wanted room for dessert, but I was like, it's tiny, a little bit on the plate and the server it all nice. I was like, you, you don't want to finish that. And I was like, no, I'm good. She's like, do you want to take it home? I was like, actually, no, I'm fine. It's still in my fridge. Well, it was, this was maybe it was last week. It's still in my fridge. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, Okay. So I ordered my dessert and then I got, there was like one bite of the cheesecake left. And she's like, you can't finish that. I'm like, I don't want it. <laughs> do, you, are you, do you want to take it? No, I don't. I don't actually want the rest of the cheesecake. Thank you. Mm-hmm. It was just like all friendly and trying to, no, I, I left it there on purpose. <laughs> like I was finished. And it's, she seemed shocked that I was going to leave this one bite of cheesecake left. And I was like, I, I don't want that one bite. Mm-hmm. I was You know, your last bite just- threshold, you found it. I did. I did. (laughs) Twice that day. I was very proud of myself.
0: (laughs) Love that. So when, so looking back, what do you think was the hardest part about, because Maria's right, so much of intuitive eating, I mean, especially in the beginning is actually unlearning, right? It's unlearning all the kind of ways we've been taught to approach food and unlearning all of the kind of diet noise and unlearning that, you know, idea that Smaller bodies automatically mean healthier or better bodies and and all the unlearning. But what was, do you recall like any particular place where you really got stuck on your intuitive eating journey or the thing that
1: felt really hard to you? Well, probably because it's creeped back in is the weighing yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, that's hard, mostly because when you go to, the, go to the doctor, right, and they weigh you and you can say, I don't want to be weighed or I don't want to see it, but, and I, I did that multiple times, but there were times when I'm like, well, I don't want to see it. And I turned around they still weighed me anyway, which was fine, whatever, in my mind. Um, but then I see her like writing the number on the paper on the wall. And I was like, well, I, I still kind of, kind of saw that. And I like, like I couldn't stop looking because it was there. And I was like, oh, well, now I know what it was. <laughs> um, And so like, that piece was hard uh, and, and I go, th- I go through waves on that. There's sometimes where I'm like, I just don't know. Like I went in for a, uh, a test once and they're like, we need to know your weight. I'm like, I don't actually know what I weigh. And she was like, well, you need to guess. And I'm like, I mean, I could guess, but I don't really have any idea. It could be like a difference of 20 pounds. I actually don't know what I weigh. I've weighed myself for months. And she was like, I need a number. And I was like, all right, here's a number. Don't know if it's good though. Maybe put a question mark after it. Mm -hmm. Um, so I feel like that's always a hard one from the unlearning because I want, there's still that part of me that like wants a smaller number, um, Mm -hmm. even though I know the number doesn't matter and it's just a number. And well, before my intuitive eating journey, I was fine with the number being a number, but now I have more years of what the number used to be and what it is now. And so getting over the, the number piece of the scale sometimes is a hard challenge.
2: Yeah, it's hard to let go of that. And sometimes the question, is it really relevant? Sometimes, like many visits that we do to the doctors, we're asked about our weight, and we're not even there for anything related to our weight, right? It's almost like a question they ask everybody, like, really, what for? I yeah.
0: Wonder. Yeah, often they don't really need it, but it's just kind of standard operating procedure at this point. And a lot of people don't know that you can decline to be weighed. Although I have heard other clients say what you said, Melissa, which is what I actually maybe ask for a blind weight where, okay, you can weigh me, but please don't tell me. But then they don't do a very good job of making sure that you don't see it. But but in most instances, you actually can just flat out decline, to be weighed. And I think a lot of people don't know that. But I remember you had the added challenge, and I can never remember what they call this, but of your Navy component. Can you talk yeah. about that?
1: So in the military, well, in the Navy, I'll speak to that the military, all the branches of service have some sort of uh height weight standard, um, and then a physical fitness test. And for my entire Navy career, I was always um above the threshold for my height. So it's height, weight, um, and above the threshold. And if you're above the threshold, you have to do some sort of measurement for a body fat calculation. And I think maybe there were like five times that I didn't have to be taped. We called it roped and choked. Um, it's like the Navy term because for men it's around the waist and the neck. And for the women, it was around your uh, waist, hips, and your neck. And so they take your waist, plus your hip measurement, and then subtract your neck measurement. Um, And then compared to your height, there gives you some body fat percentage. Um, Obviously, it's a super inexpensive and easy way to facilitate a metric. The other thing is it's just height and weight, and it doesn't matter how well you do on your fitness test. So on the fitness test, you actually can't take the fitness test if you failed the height, weight, or the body composition. Um, without a waiver from the doctor, but on my fitness test, I always did well enough that I could waive the next fitness test, but I was always on the struggle bus of making weight or being within standards. So I remember that there came a point where it almost was like you were having
0: to choose between your own body image, healing versus needing to make this last check-in. And that was like a really difficult position to put anyone in.
1: So. Uh well, I'd have to think of the I guess it was I was already working with you and I actually I, I did fail uh, a body composition assessment. I did well enough on that physical fitness assessment that had I not failed it, I would have been waived to have to compete in the like the assessment piece, which was a mile and a half run, push-ups and a plank. I think it was the plank that year we switched between sit-ups and a plank. Um, not in that order. So like physically I can perform all of these things. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and my number was off by, there was a half an inch difference, um, that put me over. Mm-hmm. Um, so
2: yeah, like, we should
0: say you are a running and a strength coach and one of the most
1: fit people I know. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, it's like, you know, they, that part isn't taken into account in your body composition assessment, part of your assessment. Now I know the other services have started doing some other metrics for that. Um, and the Navy is working on it. So just a little bit, you know, before we all call our Senator and whatnot, um, yes. I, I don't have to do it anymore, but I will say, I didn't know because of the pandemic, they, we used to have a fitness assessment twice a year and I'm not the only one in this position. Um, uh, I mean, if you're, if you have muscle mass and so many men are in this position too, so it isn't even just women in the military, um, that. Like if you go to a Navy exchange the week before the the fitness test uh weigh-ins, you'll see like the laxatives are all sold out. Um oh my gosh. It is it's it's really a problem. Yes. Like you know, and they actually started having you have to weigh your do the weigh-in more than 24 hours from your fitness test, because it used to be like you could do your weigh-in and then go do it. So if you imagine if you've been you know, not eating for a few days and barely drinking water so you can make weight and then go run your test, right? That's a whole other slew of health issues. Of course, that's not going to help you. Right. So now there's at least like a minimum time frame. You have to have at least 24 hours from your way into your testing. Um, usually we weigh in on like Mondays and start the testing Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, at least here. But whenever that happened, in the because of the pandemic, we only had one cycle a year. And because of my timing with my retirement, I had an option that I could have chosen to stay on active duty for three more months. Um, But I would have had to make that decision like last August, so about nine months ago. But at the time, we didn't know if there was going to be one or two cycles, because if there were two cycles, I would have still had to have done one more um, weigh in. So I I literally said, well, I don't want to take the chance that there's two cycles and I'd have to do uh, another weigh in. And so I said, I don't want the extra three months of active duty time, which is three months of the salary and all of that, because I didn't want to even have it as a potential option that I might have to be weighed in again. Um, Yeah. uh, Oh, my gosh. My skin is crawling
0: on so many different levels. (laughs) I'm
2: speechless. I had no idea about this. I, can, yeah. I mean, you're only talking and I'm already feeling stressed out and anxious, you know, about that next weighing and I'm not even there. Yeah, I can only so, imagine the
1: pressure. I did have to do one more after my failure. And <clears throat> um, I was able to, I don't actually really even know how, I didn't diet for it because I refused to diet. I was like, I'd rather actually, because I was so close to retiring, a second failure would have just meant they'd like process you for getting out. But I was already going to be returning. Oh it, it
0: bothers me that they that you that you have
1: to call it a failure. Yes. Um, so I was like, if I just if I don't pa- pass it, I don't pass it. But I'm not going to restrict myself or diet and do all of these things in hopes of, you know, and and you know, your cycle makes your body comp. You know how you retain water and stuff changes. Like you know what it is, what it is. And I, I was I had to do them. One of your um, Remediations for a failure is frequent weigh-ins and so forth. So not only did I have to like pass another one during an official administered assessment, um, I had to go like monthly to do a weigh-in and get measured and all of that. And I was like, just whatever. By that point, I'd already been working with you. So I was able, I, I, I got to the point to be able to like separate it of like, this is just part of it. It is what it is. When I finally... Like, snuck in there on that half, got that half inch back on some lucky day. Like, and I didn't do anything extreme. I mean, I've done the extreme things.
2: You know, yeah. I would
1: go run five miles before weighing in without any water, whatnot, you know, to get all the liquids out of my body before I could go weigh in. Um, yeah, I, I refused that last cycle, but once that last cycle, which was uh, May of 22, once I got that done. I was like, I won't stay in those extra three months. So there's no chance I'll ever have to do another one again. And so I haven't.
0: Thank goodness you got to that point in your healing where you were able to navigate that because everything you just described is essentially, I mean, in so many ways, just promoting disordered eating and exercise habits and eating disorders and, and just so many things. I'm, I'm glad to hear that there's some changes happening I hope that they go far enough to really alleviate that
1: mm-hmm. I, I agree <laughs> I had a, a a guy once tell me that when I was really close to making the the measurements I mean I always had to get measured which I was fine like I was fine with I'm like well I have, I have a good amount of muscle mass so like sure whatever he's like well you just need to do like some shoulder strokes and like work on your neck and I was like, I'm not working on making my neck bigger. Not happening. Wow. So not, not a solution. That might work for men. Men might be fine with that. Um, and maybe some women are too, but this one was not fine with trying to make my neck bigger.
2: Hey, Elizabeth, maybe we can set up like a stand outside of the Navy with a big sign that says, Let's come, let's learn about intuitive eating. <laughs> right? You know, like maybe oh like gosh. a kiosk or
0: something there. Yeah, or like let's go teach a class or something. I don't I, I don't think they'll me. let us
2: teach a class, but maybe you know, some signs out we we'll, can stand up outside with some signs or something. Yeah. Recruit I was already people.
1: I was already working with Elizabeth when that all happened when I did not make my assessment pass, you know. Um and one of the other requirements besides like getting weighed, do your way in monthly, and then so many uh most most not most there's some people who fail because they just can't run fast enough or mm-hmm. can't do enough push-ups um so you had to Probably do those frequently but the, I'm like whatever those are those aren't hard for me um you had to see a dietitian and I thankfully they you know, they wanted me to go to like the Navy dietitian at the clinic. And I was like, well, I'm already seeing one. Is that going to work? And so thankfully I didn't have to put myself through sitting with another dietitian that may or may not have had the same intuitive eating views that I'd already been working for, for the past like six months. So that was one blessing in there that I didn't have to put myself through that side of, you know, telling your story again with a new dietitian. So yeah, that was great. Oh my goodness. So tell us
0: how intuitive eating has made you a better runner. I'm thinking about one thing specifically, but I'm thinking about the banana.
1: (laughs) So I used to always be a fasted runner. So I would always run without eating and, you know, unlearning a lot of things like Maria said of, you know, bananas have so many carbs and blah, blah, blah. You don't eat the whole banana, just have half a banana. Um, I'll tell you when I started eating the whole banana in my smoothie, I mean, my performance improved so much in that time. Now I still have to unlearn that because of my body I'm, my mind thinks I can't run after eating. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been trying to force myself more. I find a, a smoothie is a good thing for me to have before running because it's more digested. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but the if I'm doing a short enough run, a fasted run is fine. But if I'm doing any sort of longer run, like a four, I'd say maybe either four miles or 45 minute plus run, definitely need to have something beforehand. Um, or And then adding in that nutrition while running as well. So if you're doing longer distances, like an hour plus, making sure to have running fuel, they make a whole market of running fuel products. So they now make these little waffles and, chews and gels that if you're doing longer distances, that fueling has become so much more of a front and center piece. And I no longer run um, thinking of like, what's that number on this scale going to be? Um, 15 years ago when I would run, I literally would get up because I weighed myself every day and I'd go on these runs and I'd come back and weigh myself again before getting a shower to be like, oh, I lost five pounds on that nine mile run. Mm-hmm. And it was like such a badge of honor And clearly I don't do that now, Um, but that's so silly when I think about it, because that was such a fictitious number anyway, right? It was all water.
0: Yeah, well, sure. Yeah, but it's also so common. I mean, think about how many people do get up and weigh themselves every single day and then what that does to their mind state and their emotions, depending on the meaning that they've attached to that number, right? And that's, again, part of the unlearning, unlearning the meaning that we're attaching to it, unlearning the need to have to do it, right? And like feeling good regardless.
2: So Melissa, what what if you share with us a little bit what you do now, this um, running or, you know, yeah, the program that you have for running. I heard you talking at an event not too long ago, and I was really intrigued about what you do, and even felt like I could be one of those people who, at forty-six, starts running. You, you could be.
1: My mom ran her first marathon at fifty-one years old, and my she's problem. still running marathons. So um.
2: the problem is that I only run. I mean, I don't run, but if I run, it's because it's a serious emergency <laughs> or being chased by a lion or something like. <laughs> but then I started. You know, I noticed that my kids started like, "Hey, mom, this." Let's compete, let's run. And I've tried, and then I'm like, I'm going to die. So I realized, you know, that I I could be in a better, like it would make me really proud to, you know, be a better runner. So then I heard you talking, I'm like, hey, maybe I could do this. So let us know, what what do you do now?
1: So knowing my Navy career was coming to an end, whether it was going to be, you know, in nine days or in three months from now, Um, 23 was always the year that I knew I'd be retiring from the Navy. Um, so kind of a backup story of, I actually found strength training first. And when I realized like how cool you could feel with like lifting really heavy weights and it carried over to my running performance, I was like, wow, this is cool. This is a really great feeling. You know, when I'm done with the Navy, I think this is what I want to do. Um, and so I kind of was like, well, I'll pursue that a little while I have time here and there. And then um, as this time got closer, about four years ago, I started my business with uh, online coaching. And in the past two years, I started run coaching specifically. Um, As my running picked up, as we went in the pandemic, it was the easiest thing to do. And I needed a little bit of an escape um, since we were all home uh, in 2020. And that's where the Strong Mom Run Club came about, was a spinoff from a strength group that I had of like let's talk about running because that was kind of all a lot of people could do then. Um, and since then I then started taking on, uh, coaching individuals, specifically moms. Um, if you're not a mom, I'll still coach you, but just know I am a mom. So sometimes my kids pop up in zoom calls and, you know, Mm -hmm. one of the things I like to ensure all of my clients have is a flexible custom-made training plan. Um, because as a mom, you need something that is flexible. Um, because, I mean, I, I write my own plan as well. And I literally just changed mine today. I'm like, oh, I need to change this because X, Y, or Z. Um, and so I like to provide a plan that meets the client where they are um, to get them to the goal that they want to have. Um, and so that's all of my plans, whatever sort of version that you would work with me have have that. Um, I do have uh, monthly coaching calls for my members. I have a membership. So if you're in the membership or you have a one-on-one training with me, I give you access to the membership um, for those coaching calls. Um, And if you do one-on-one training, you get additional text access to me. So you can ask questions kind of anytime. And my newest program is Strong Moms Run. And since now I'm retired, I have a little bit more time on my hands. I definitely thought there would be more, but there's not nearly as much extra time. I thought I would have read like 17 books by now. I haven't. Um, But I now am offering uh, for the first time a group training program where we're all training for the Annapolis 10 mile run. That's at the end of August and we'll do weekly group runs together and then have um, bi-weekly coaching calls separate for just that group. So not just having everyone kind of training for their own race here or there, that common goal. Um, And one of the things I want to emphasize with running. uh, So Maria, if you want to pick up running, I want you to do it because you want to run and you want to run for fun. Um, If someone's like, you know, I just don't find it fun. I'm like, well, maybe you should stop running. And I've told people, maybe it's time you take a break from running. I mean, not because I don't want to work with them as much as if it's not fun, if it's if it's a drag to get out there, who wants to do that? That's not fun. Mm-hmm. Like, no, doesn't make somebody happy. If you're dragging yourself out the door, oh, I have to go do this run today. So if you aren't having fun, don't run. Uh, um, the same thing would go, you know, if you are swimming for something and you're except for my kids, they have to finish all of their things, right? <laughs> to to finish the season. But I would never want somebody to do something they don't want to do. So if I'm programming somebody for strength, I'll be like, well, what is your favorite strength movement? Like, let's make sure that stays in there. Like if, if you want to start focusing on say some more runner specific, but you really love your heavy barbell deadlifts, like we'll keep your barbell deadlifts in there because it's something you really love doing. Um, That whole idea of
0: joyful movement that obviously is, you know, is an entire principle of intuitive eating, but like, let's take all the, like one, the idea that we have to do exercise that we don't actually enjoy, right? Which ends up causing a lot of people not to move at all. And let's just reclaim the right to move our bodies in whatever way is enjoyable for us. And that will be different for everybody. And it will ebb and flow, right? I used to run, I have run the Annapolis 10 miler a couple of times. I took off many years from it, but I've been feeling the pull to run again. And like, it's cool just to be able to, dip in and out of whatever is enjoyable and feels good to you when it feels good and when it doesn't
1: and I've had several people come up to me like man I, I wish I I wish I liked running I'm like well do you do you want to run they're like well not really I'm like okay <laughs> don't run I'm like but I just wish I liked it like you really like it and I'm like and that's okay you like other things like it's okay that you don't want to run and so many people who did youth sports running was a punishment yeah Uh, Uh, yes my husband coached for me because I had a race on Saturday for our t-ball and he sends me this text like while we're on the field because this one kid wouldn't listen and he goes I want to make that kid do laps and I was like no you can't do that Uh -uh, that's going to make kids hate running that's why so many people hate running because they play like softball or volleyball and they had to do laps as punishment like I will never punish anybody with running yeah. Why do a lot of
0: youth sports coaches treat running as a punishment? I've never understood that either, but it's kind of the same as like forcing kids to like finish their plate or eat their vegetables. Right. Like, yeah. of Probably long-term not gonna uh, Tara has been like text, She says, because it's easy,
1: <laughs> I suppose. Um, well, they start with like, like, Oh, well, if you don't do X, Y, or Z, you're going to run. So they make it. So you don't want to run anyway. Like they make it sound as if running is bad. And then you have to do it. And then there's the comp- internal competition with your team. You
2: don't want to be the last person. I mean so uh, in case there's anyone out there like me, like for me, it wouldn't be the f- I don't hate it, the running. I don't, I don't see it as fun, but I could see the benefits though. The few times that I'm like, I'm gonna go out for a run because I I I, I don't know why actually, but I, I have I have I've had those days it really diffuses tension for me. Like I really connect with my body and it boosts my self-esteem. So when I heard you talking at that event, I'm like, hey, one second, if I set up that goal and I actually end up running for the first time or whatever, could it be like a half K marathon? Like, I don't know, like two, half a mile. Then (laughs) it's it's an accomplishment, right? Because you set a goal, you complete it and that can boost your self-esteem. So I thought, hey- I mean, it will be fun then when I actually finish the. So. so, I don't. I completely
1: agree. Having a goal and completing it is such a huge accomplishment, especially if mm-hmm. it's something that you're like. Well, right now, I just I know I couldn't do that right now, but I take an approach that's going to build you up to that point. That's good. I, you know, you're also not going to be like increasing your mileage every week. Um, there's training periodization, so there's uh, downfall weeks. And in the, you know, in the case of the Annapolis 10 miler, it's the end of August, you start in June. So there's vacations in there. So, oh, when is your vacation? We'll make that a deload week. Maybe you're just doing walks on the beach that week and that's totally fine. Um, right. Like I will work that into the timing of the program. So you get your rest because you can't build yourself up for 12 weeks and not expect to be, um, overtired, under recovered and, probably hangry and moody and also that increases your risk of injury. Um so I always have deload weeks programmed in there. And again, since it's custom, I can build them around your personal schedule. Got a family wedding coming up, you know, bachelorette parties, all of those things. That's awesome. I told you that I'm I'm sort of
0: interested in doing it and I have all of those things, so I love that you can moderate or um plan around it with intention. So um, thank you so much for coming on and talking up to us today. Really, really fun to have you here. I would love for you just to share two last things with us. First one, just if anyone is out there thinking that they're stuck in dieting and diet culture and it's really like dragging them down and they're, they want to go to intuitive eating, but they're fearful. What would you say to that person? And then also wrap up by letting us know where and how people can find you.
1: Okay. So if you're on the fence about intuitive eating because diet culture has let you down for probably a long time, um, I would like to tell you that the other side feels so much more relaxing and at ease and in this high stress life we all live. It's an area I no longer feel stressed about. Um, so I've been able with, you know, yes, I've been working with Elizabeth for two years, but I would say I probably felt that, you know, pretty much by the end of the Thrive Tribe, the, which, the, is it still four months uh-huh, yeah. um and then i've continued working with her because my like i said my pendulum does still swing and i notice when i miss a, a monthly call because of you know whatever else conflicts we have that that's when i like start to kind of swing mm-hmm. the one way and i'm like oh i have to make the next one mm-hmm. um, because i just need that grounding and those reminders with those other like minded people that are so much harder to find um but it is a relaxing feeling i don't have to worry about going to dinner, what I'm going to eat. Is it going to be okay? How's this going to derail me if I go out to eat or a barbecue or a birthday party? Um, I, that stress yeah. part of my life has gone away. I love that. And you're still doing all the
0: things to sort of take care of yourself and feel good, which is the most amazing part, but, um, okay. And where can people find you
1: if they want to do, and by the way, they don't have to live locally. Right. I actually just announced the virtual option for the Annapolis 10 milers. So if you're someone who likes to travel for a race, um, basically, basically you would get everything the same without the weekly group runs. Um, so I have a really cool swag bag with that. And, uh, another bonus, um, if you're going to travel here for the race, right, you can still do the coaching calls and meet the people, uh, throughout that. Um, so yes, you can, I do train around, around the world, technically everyone's still in the United States, but, could do around the world um and you can find me i have uh, i'm on instagram my handle is strongmom_strongfamily uh, strong mom underscore strong family and my i spend a lot of my time in my facebook group strong mom run club uh, soul sisters and goal getters is the tagline for my free facebook group uh where i spend a lot of my
2: online time sounds great thank you so much melissa it was such a pleasure to have you And I'm looking forward to start running with you. Mm -hmm. All right, let's do it. It'll be fun.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for coming. So just uh, obviously, you know, I love working with you, but so fun to hear more about what you do also and how it all ties together. Thank you for having me. So thank you so much for joining us for another episode of wellness rebranded. If you would like to connect with us offline, we would love to connect with you. You can find me uh, at Elizabeth Harris nutrition on Facebook and Instagram. I do also have actually a free guide, five tips, on or how to five ways to get better at respecting your fullness cues and i'll be sure to link it in the show notes
1: and guys we're coming love that and you can find me on facebook or instagram at tara fitness i'd love to hear from you
2: and you can find me on instagram at coaching coaching underscore therapist and i would love to connect with you too have a great day